Lord. So we're going to be beginning in Psalm 91. We're going to start back in verse number one tonight in our message. And I'm going to backtrack just a little bit, just so in case you didn't catch the first part of it, you'll get where we're going with this. Now, Jesus taught us in the Olivet Discourse that in the last days there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And we see that going on in our generation. Amen. Wars and rumors of wars. Rumors of wars are all over the news. Everybody's panicked about it. And in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus actually says there will be commotions. And the word commotion means disorder. So there's going to be disorder in society, and there's going to be war breaking out everywhere in the last days. Amen? How many of you can testify there's been a lot of disorder in America? Right? There's been a lot of disorder in the church. There's been a lot of disorder in the homes. There's been a lot of disorder even in our own lives. But commotion is one of those signature things that's going to happen in the last days. Disorder, or as the Lord said, it's commotion. And one of the things that we see is that unless we get back to the fundamentals of our faith as a church, we're going to be panicked just like the world is. Today, the world doesn't know which way to turn. The world doesn't know what to do. The world doesn't know their right hand from their left hand. It doesn't know whether they're inside or outside. They don't know what they are or where they're going or what's happening. And you know, for the most part, a lot of times the church doesn't either. As long as the offering keeps getting big, we don't care. But the reality is this. The reality is this. For the saint, for the child of God, for the, for the, the person that is blood-bought, blood-washed, you have protection from God. You have a heritage from God. You have an invitation to come into the very near presence of God, not to stop at the holy place, but to proceed all the way through to the holy of holies. And in the holy of holies, there was the ark of God. And the ark of God had two angels on the top of it. Those two angels sat over what was called the mercy seat. The mercy seat is where the blood was shed that would please God and God would come and meet the high priest at that mercy seat. Well, the Bible says over that mercy seat, those two angels, their wings were outstretched and they had a shadow. It says they overshadowed the mercy seat. That was a type and a shadow. Biblically speaking, it was prophetic of who Christ is. That at the cross, the child of God will find shadow from the heat. At the cross, the child of God will find refuge from the storm, a shelter to camp under. At the cross, that's that mercy seat where you'll come. The cross is the place where God meets with us and he, he accepts that blood sacrifice. And when you come to that mercy seat, you're overshadowed by those angels' wings. Amen? It was a type and a shadow, very prophetic of the ministry of Christ and the power of the cross. And the reason why we got to rise out of that today is because the church world, by and large, will preach anything and everything but the cross. We'll have a series on worldly love songs and movies from Disney. We'll talk about how to manage your finances and how to find the right person. But we won't tell people how to find shelter from the storm at the cross, how to get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, which is one place and one place alone, and it is at that cross where Christ died and offered himself for us, a substitute, a ransom to redeem our soul. That cross is the only place where you can find the shadow of God. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all, but at the mercy seat there's a shadow for you. And that shadow God invites you to come into to find shelter from that storm out there. The wars, rumors of wars, the commotion, the pestilence, the earthquakes, all the things that are going on in the world. And the child of God has an invitation to come to God, to come to that mercy seat and be overshadowed by the very presence of God. And you see, we, because the cross isn't preached anymore, people don't have that covering anymore. 
And that's why you've got churches that are signing up people to be Democrats and signing up people to be Republicans and doing a 5K march for our favorite political cause when God called us to not do any of that kind of nonsense, but to get back to the book, get down on our face, and to seek Him and to cry out and to plead the blood of Jesus over our lives. There won't be any Baptists or Assemblies of God or Republicans or Democrats in heaven. All those tags are going to come off. And you see, when you come to the cross, you have to come and you have to humble yourself and submit to who God is and what he did. And you have to let go of who you are and let him make you a new person. And when you do that, God will meet you there. You'll be under that shadow. Now, that we that's summarizing where we were this morning. We're going to dig down just a little bit further tonight, beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 91. Pay attention to this verse because it ties in to, and, and, and if you want that reference, it's Hebrews 9 verse 5, okay? Hebrews 9 verse 5, it says that those angels' wings overshadowed the mercy seat. What a beautiful picture. I'm telling you, God's speaking to you. There's one place for you to get shelter. I don't know what you got going on in your life. Only you and God knows the battles going on in there. But I'm telling you this, there's one place where you can find shelter. And it's not at your uncle or your auntie. And it's not at your pastor. And it's not at your church. There's one place where you can find shelter and it's at the cross. That's the place where God will meet you. That's the place where God will accept you. That's the place where God will fill you. And from that place, God will send you. It says here in verse 1 of Psalm 91, He that dwelleth. He that dwelleth. Now, i got to stop right there just because i got to tell you, King James Bible is so beautiful. I, I, I love it for many reasons. And the word dwelleth means you don't stop. It's an ongoing reality of your life. When, what we're going to talk about from this point forward in this verse hinges on the fact that you not, that you not visit the secret place. You know, it, it's one thing to have crisis and to visit the secret place. You know, you get in trouble, you, call, you know who to call. But that's different. It's one thing to know who to call when you're in trouble. It's another thing to dwell at their house. It's one thing to know. It's another thing to be there. It's another thing to be there. You see, there's a, 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 a part of this verse that hinges on the fact that we don't visit the secret place of God. But it's where we live. It's what we live for. It's where we dwell. Smith Wigglesworth, he said he, he wouldn't get out of bed until he prayed himself right in the Holy Ghost. He said he would lay on his bed and he would not get out of that bed until he prayed himself right in the Holy Spirit. What did he mean by that? He prayed until he felt the presence of God. It's about having that walk with God and cultivating the presence of God in your life. Just simply put, sometimes you got to turn off the TV and get in the prayer closet. And not just go to the prayer closet when you can't pay your Swebco bill. Because we all going to do that. And that's okay. God wants you to do that. He wants you to cast your cares on Him. Because He cares for you. Don't feel bad about that. But what the Scripture is reminding us is that prayer closet is not a place we're supposed to visit. It's a place we're supposed to dwell Watch this. It says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That shadow of the Almighty, that's, that's that access of God in your life. The shadow of the Most High, that's the mercy seat. That's the place where God meets with men. If you dwell in that secret place... You'll abide at that place where God can use you, where God can, God can protect you, God can guide you, God can deliver you, God can direct you, God can fill you, God can send you, God can speak to you, God can use you in that place. But it hinges on you dwelling in the secret place. 
Dwelling in the secret place is different than visiting. Amen? Now, notice what he says here in verse 2. It says, I will say of the Lord, this is the person that dwells, not the person that visits. The person that visits can't say this. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. See, if you don't, if, if you only casually visit the prayer closet, but you don't dwell in that secret place with God, he's not a refuge to you. You might have the bumper sticker, you might have the t-shirt, but the reality's not true. How many of y'all can testify on that? I can. I've been there. It's different though. Because you, you can go on Amazon and buy a t-shirt that says, God is my refuge. But that don't mean it's true. What is a refuge to you? Well, anybody that's ever been caught out in the woods when it rained knows what a refuge is. It's when you don't want to get rained on anymore and you find somewhere to get up under something. And can I tell you something? It's raining outside. It's raining. The world is raining down. Filth. Spiritual warfare. The enemy is raining down discouragement, despair, despondency, apathy. Just all in all spiritual warfare on the child of God. It's raining out there. And if you don't know where your refuge is, you're a sitting target. Refuge is that place where you realize there is a war out there, there is rain coming down, and you need to get up under something. I can tell you something. You don't get up under a church, a denomination, a pastor, or a, a, a mere man. You get up under Jesus. You get up under Jesus. And He will shelter you from every demonic lie, every spiritual war, every attack of the devil. He will protect you from every doubt that comes your way. He will protect you from every enemy onslaught. He will protect you from the deluge that the enemy brings. The Bible records, he says, that the enemy comes in like a flood, but the Spirit of the Lord lift up a standard against him. So he says, I'll say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Listen to this. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. Pestilence means disease, by the way. Kind of needful in our generation, our pandemic. It says that he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in the darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. What is it about God that he is your refuge? It says that as you make a habit of dwelling in that secret place, he becomes your shelter from the storm. And not only does he become your shelter from the storm, but you learn that that's where your trust lies. You learn that you can trust God. We don't have to dig a bunker 10 feet, 10 miles down. We don't have to have 10 years of food stored up. We don't have to have cryptocurrency. Or we don't have to have silver dollars. We don't have to have silver bullets when we've got shelter from the storm in God, our provider. Does he give us wisdom? Yes. But do, do we have to operate in fear? No. And the reality is, by and large, for the most part, the enemy plays on those fears when we're not dwelling in the secret place. And, 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 
and don't look to the left or to the right and don't feel bad because everybody battles the same thing. All you got to do is watch the news for about five minutes and you're ready to fight or flight syndrome. But that's not of God. God's called us to, 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 to not look to the left or to the right. To look to the cross. To trust in Him. To hold to His hand. It never changes. He never moves. He's the rock of ages. Now watch this. It says in, in, in verse 3, it says, Surely He shall deliver thee. Can I tell you something? Deliverance is a heritage from God to the saint. You hear me? Deliverance is a heritage. That means it's a gift of God. Deliverance is a heritage from God to the saint, not avoidance. You know what avoidance is? Uh, 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 avoidance is I don't want to go through that trial. Deliverance is God's going to go in there with you and he's going to get you out of it. Ask those three Hebrew boys about deliverance. Avoidance is, I don't want to go in the fiery furnace. Deliverance is, I don't care if you throw me in, God's going to get me out. Deliverance is far different than avoidance. You see, we, in, in our mortal minds, in our flesh, we want to avoid every pitfall, every trouble, every trial, every fiery furnace, every den of lions, every issue known to man. We want to avoid it because we want comfortable life. God didn't call us to live comfortably. He called us to contend for the faith. It's two different things. It's in the book of Jude if you want to look it up later. We're, we're called to contend for the faith, but as Americans, we really love that comfortable life. And that's why so many people are conflicted and impotent in the things of God. Because God's not going to empower someone who's seeking a comfortable life. We have to lose self at that cross and be made new. Now, deliverance is the heritage. Avoidance is the church's desire. I tell you something about Daniel. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is about Daniel. Daniel was told to, that, that he couldn't pray. Many of y'all remember that. Y'all know that's why he got put in the den of lions, right? He couldn't pray. He couldn't pray to his God. Can I tell you something? The Bible says when he went up there in his room to pray, he, the window was open. I'll tell you what most people that I know would have done. They would have went up there, they would have done one of two things. They would have said, Lord, you know that I would love to pray right now, but I'll just do that after the end of the month. Or they would have shut the window and prayed when nobody could see. But Daniel didn't avoid, he let his little light shine. He let his little light shine. And that's why... He's one of the major prophets of the Bible. Because he wasn't fearful of what men could do. He feared God more than men. He wanted to please God more than he wanted to please men. And he prayed with that window open, not avoiding the trial or the tribulation, but knowing that God would deliver him from it. That's the issue at hand. The closer we get to the last days, that's going to be the issue at hand. Will you stand when it's time to stand? Will you pray with the window open when you're told not to? Will you stand up for righteousness' sake? Even if it costs you favor with men, they may mock you, spit on you, talk bad about you, leave you, desert you, whatever. But will you stand for God? Will you stand for righteousness' sake? Will you hold to the Word of God? I want to tell you something. Abraham failed that test once. 
He's a mighty man of God. He's in the Hall of Fame of Faith, but he failed that test once. You remember when he did it? It was before he got the covenant promises. Yeah, he went down into Egypt with his wife. And instead of saying, this is my wife, he said, tell them that I'm your brother. Why? He was avoiding trouble. He was avoiding trouble. Can I tell you something? That's called a half-truth. That's called a half-truth. Half-truth is a whole lie. I'll tell you something else. A white lie will still keep you out of heaven. The Bible says liars shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter if it's a white lie or a black lie. You know what they call a white lie? A white lie is the one that you use to get to advance. Well, they didn't need to know that, so I lied to them. Well, the Bible says, it doesn't say just, you know, bad lies. It says all liars. Be cast in outer darkness, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can go all the way down. But here's the reality. As Abraham operated in a half-truth, which is a whole lie, and he lied, and he said, that's my sister, and it almost cost the heritage. It almost cost him heaven and Isaac. It almost cost him receiving the promises of God. The very promise of God. Think about that. If, I, if, if, if Sarah would have been married to Pharaoh, there would have never been an Isaac, nor a Jacob, nor a Joseph, nor a David, nor a Jesus. He would have had to come through a different line. I mean, this is a crisis. Because he wasn't willing to stand the cost. What about you? What about me? See, there's issues in our life that in our society, we can get by as long as we stand on half-truths. The world will never come against the church as long as it's compromised in a half-truth state. The world is getting darker. And there will come a time it comes against the church because it don't like this. Men have tried to burn this, hide this, keep people illiterate so they couldn't read it. Men have abused it, cut things out of it, added things to it. But it has stood the test of time, just like Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word shall endure forever. And, and, and so the reality is, is that God's desire is to deliver you, not help you avoid the trial, but to deliver you in it, to show you how mighty, how good he is, that he's a refuge from the storm, that he would be that fourth man in the fire, or he'll shut the, the, the lion's mouth while you're in the den of lions. He will show you that even if you get swallowed up by a whale in the ocean, that you won't die, that it won't overtake you, that he'll be there with you. And he'll deliver you from it. He's a deliverer. It says there that he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and the noisome pestilence. God is a deliverer. You see, the, the, the next part, it says, Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night. What does terror mean? Now we know what terrorists are. Terrorists will make you change the way you operate. You hear that? A terrorist will make you change the way you operate. Look at our look 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 at the uh, airport. Airport operates completely different than it used to. Before 9/11, they call them terrorists because they change the way you operate. And you know that the devil wants to change the way you're supposed to operate. He wants you to be fearful. He wants you to he want, he wants you to hold on to what people think about you. He wants you to hold on to, 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 to your standing in men's eyes. He wants you to hold on to comfort of life. But terror, it, what it does is it changes your natural behavior. 
And anybody that's ever been in, a, in, in emotional distress knows what that means. You've been emotionally, uh, mentally abused. You know, people can strike terror just by saying certain words or by threatening certain actions. And so it makes you change. It, ch- it makes you change your behavior because you're scared. It's what terror does. It's extreme fear that agitates the heart and mind, according to Webster. Extreme fear. And the Bible says here that we shall not be afraid of the terror by night. But can I tell you something? You'll never know that. You'll never know that if you don't dwell in the secret place. Those that dwell in the secret place will not have terror. They will have peace. The louder the enemy gets, the more peace floods the soul. The, the, the louder the enemy gets, the more those scriptures begin re- coming back to you. And look, this is the thing. When it comes to terror, if you're not holding to God's hand, if you're not unmovable by being in the secret place with God, what you'll do is you'll compensate. Think about it. What if we compensated at the airport to protect us? We've got x-ray machines. We've got body scan machines. We've got biotechnology machines. You, can only, you can't carry any soap. You can't carry shampoo. You can't do this and you can't do that. We've compensated as a nation, right? You, you understand what I'm saying? When a person isn't, when a saint of God is not dwelling in the secret place, The enemy's inflicting terror and they'll begin to live a way they're not supposed to. They'll begin to compensate. What will you compensate? Well, I I can tell you what the church does. The church compensates. You know what it's called? It starts with a C. It's called compromise. See, if you compromise the message, if you only share a half-truth, if you only talk about the good things, if you only talk about the pleasing things, that's what Jeremiah got in trouble for. They told Jeremiah, prophesy, but prophesy good things. Don't tell us the severity of God. Don't tell us the judgment of God. Don't tell us the holiness of God. You can prophesy, but you must prophesy the good things, the sweet things of God. Tell me that I'm all that and a bag of chips or you're going to die. And Jeremiah couldn't do it because the word of God was in him, right? The word of God was in him. He said it's like a fire shot up in his bones. He couldn't hold it back. He had to speak the truth. The word of God had to come forth. And when you know God and you dwell in that secret place of God, you'll be the same way and you won't be able to compromise to get along with society that rejects God. You won't compromise to get along with a society that rejects God. If the word of God is like a fire shot up in your bones. So yes, when the terror of society comes to you, If you're not dwelling in the secret place with God, you will compensate by compromise. Well, it's only one time. Well, I don't have to tell them what I believe. See, all Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to do is bow down. When that trumpet sound, all the music started playing, the whole nation, the whole nation, Babylon, they all had to bow down. And when everybody else bowed down, three boys stood up. You talk about peer pressure. Everybody else is doing it. Come on, parents. You know what I'm talking about. Well, everybody else is doing it. Why can't I do it? What about the peer pressure that could cost your life? What about when when we're in the last days? What about the mark of the beast? Talk about peer pressure. It's, 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 it's just a little mark. And I, I mean, I need food. Yeah, but it can cost your soul. 
What will a man give for his soul? And, and, and yet the church today is exchanging its consecration with God for compromise with the world. We're exchanging our consecration with God for compromise with the world. And we wonder why we got to have laser light smoke machines and, 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 and mirrors and, and, and moving projector screens. And we, we, we wonder why we've got to have uh, skinny jeans and mohawks. We, we, we wonder why we got to do all that. Why you got to do all that? Because we don't have consecration. We're making up. We're compensating for not being consecrated in the secret place. So Abraham compromised the message and it almost cost him Isaac. Is the church compromising its message? To stay in favor with the world? And could it cost us our Isaac? What's our Isaac? The latter rain. Telling you. Scripture prophesies before the rapture there's going to be a latter rain. There's going to be a movement in our nation. There's going to be a movement around the world. The Holy Ghost is going to come down on this nation. He's going to come down on the church. But he's coming down, listen, on a consecrated, holy, sold out bride of Christ. And if we're going to experience what Abraham experienced, was that Isaac coming forth, we're going to have to get off that compromise with Pharaoh to get along and say what needs to be said and stand on the truth of God's Word. Amen? Let me, let me show you something. in, in, in uh, Let's go over to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to move all the way down to verse number 27. Well, let's, we, can, we can start with verse 25. So Philippians 1, and we can start with verse number 25. I got to tell you something. Here's the reality. In, in, in Psalm 91, we're really talking about God's protection, right? We're talking about us dwelling in the secret place, and as you do, you've got a covering over you. That's the question. Do you have a covering over you? The only place that you're going to find covering is not me or this church or any church or any denomination or any ministry. Your covering comes from the cross. It comes from your relationship with God. It comes from your being surrendered to God. It comes from you humbling yourself, having a contrite heart, and coming and be made new by God. It, this, the Holy Ghost is our covering. And we don't experience that outside the cross. But listen, Psalm 91, like I said, is all about the enemy. It's all about protection. It's all about refuge. It's all about being under that shadow. But you'll always have enemies in, the, in life. It's not just a last day's thing. The church has had enemies from its birth. You'll always have enemies. We will always have enemies. We'll always have battles. You've got to look at this. It's not about how big the battle is. It's not about how big your enemy is. How many of you feel like you fought just one too many battles in life? It's not even about how many battles there are. It's about how big your God is. It's about how big your God is. God never fails. God never fails. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. The Bible says in Hebrews 13 that He will be your helper. He will not leave. No, not ever. The Lord is my helper. What shall man do? Is our God bigger than our battle? Ask yourself that. Is your God bigger than the battle? Is your God bigger? 
My God is. If we ever get to a point where we don't think our God's big enough, we need to, come to, we need to have a come to Jesus meeting. Just remind yourself of the old Sunday school stories. David and Goliath. You see, that's the thing. We, 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 we've majored on the minors. We minored on the majors in the church world. We try to get people to speak Koine Greek. Try to get people to memorize systematic theology. We try to get them involved in our methodology. As the old preacher says, the only thing that will help you out, though, is neology. Bow that knee down to Jesus. Have a come to Jesus meeting. Get some neology. Everything else will start making sense. So listen here. It says um, in, in, in verse number 25, Paul's writing to the church of Philippi. How many of you know he wrote this from prison? How much, how much faith and victory would you be writing from prison? Come on. You, you get one bad comment on Facebook and you think God left you. Oh, I'm being persecuted. What, what, what happens when you get thrown in jail for your faith? Paul didn't get thrown in jail because he didn't pay his taxes. He didn't get thrown in jail for a speeding ticket he didn't pay. He got thrown in jail for doing what God said. Where are you, God? Where he's always been, with you. The world's against you. The world's against God. If you don't think that, why did they crucify Jesus? Because they're against God. And if he's in you, guess what? They're coming for you. Because they're coming for what's in you. So Paul... Writing from a place of faith and victory from prison cell 2. Here in the book of Philippians, it says in verse 25, He said, In having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you, all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only, only, let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Hold on. Paul said, look, uh, things will settle down. I'm coming out of this. I'm going to see you again. Well, we're going to have church one more time. It's going to be all right. Only. Meaning, look, everything's going to work out, Church. I don't know how or when, but I know it will. That's what he's saying. He said, I know it's going to work out only. Meaning singular. This one thing you've got to do. Let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel. The gospel of Christ. What does that mean? Let's read the rest and then we'll get into it. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, and that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Listen closely. And in nothing, which for you guys in East Texas, that means nada. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries which is to them an evident token of perdition but to you of salvation and that of God now let's get into this this part right here you got to get this part this is this, this is going to help you out in the coming days what's what God's saying only let your conversation be as it becomes the gospel what does that mean who cares who won the game did you see the poll numbers? Nope. Have you seen Jesus lately? Your conversation here is, it, it is words, but it's not only words. The, the biblical word for conversation means your manner of life. How you live, how you treat folks, 
what you do, what you think about, what you watch on TV. Don't throw eggs. The kind of movies you watch, the things you participate in, where you go, how you go, what you do. It's all, it's all part of your conversation. What that means is the way you're speaking to the world. Your life speaks to the world around you. You may think, well, nobody is with me in my room. Yeah, there's a lot of spirits watching you. And God's watching you. You're conversating not only with people around you, but you're telling God who your God is. You're telling God who your refuge is. You're telling God who your shelter from the storm is by your conversation of life. Are you dwelling in that secret place? Doing things you know he doesn't like. Now, here's the thing. The, the conversation, like I said, it is your manner of life, but it also is the words of your mouth. And in no Christian at no time whatsoever should we ever be part of gossipers, backbiters. We should never at any part be any kind of uh, flamethrowing flame with our tongues. Cutting people down, tearing them apart. We should never be in, in any of that. What we lend our mouth to is to glorify God and encourage our brothers. To glorify God and to share the truth. Conversation. Your manner of living. The way that you live. Gossipers and backbiters conversation is evil and demonic. Did you know what he did? Did you hear what she did? I knew that they were going to do that. You know why? Because backbiting is, is, is tearing somebody apart from behind. You know, uh, we, we did a Bible study on this recently, but if, if the devil can get a whisperer, you know what a whisperer is? You ever seen a whisperer in church? Oh, sister so-and-so, blah, 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 blah. If the devil can get a whisperer into a church, he can destroy it. Not the church, but a church. A body of believers can be decimated through a whisperer. And see, the, the, the Bible in Proverbs says it's a tailbearer. A, a tailbearer is someone who's just bearing the tail. Hey, I'm, you know, it's not my thing, but I just thought you might want to know about Sister So-and-So. That's a tailbearer. And you see, the, 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 the way that that stops is, is when there's no ear to tell. A tailbearer can't tell any tales if there's no ears to tell. And, and the reality is, if, if the enemy can get a tailbearer or a whisperer or a backbiter or a gossiper into a church, he can begin to decimate people. Through innuendo discouragement, and all kinds of demonic activity. Listen to this. Listen to this, and I'm going to move forward. Gossipers and backbiters, their conversation, their way of life is demonic and evil, but it flies with the disguise of godliness. No, no gossiper, backbiter, or whisperer, or tailbearer in a church ever flies without that disguise. You know what I'm saying? The, 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 we're better than them. The disguise of godliness. And so we know that that's evil, that's demonic, and God's called us to a better thing. That is that our conversation be as becoming the gospel. What does it mean to be becoming of the gospel? It means that everything we say and do should glorify God. People should be able to be pointed to God through everything we say and do. And if what we're saying and doing is not pointing people and glorifying God, then it's not becoming of the gospel. Think about that. When Paul got saved, he got saved on the road to Damascus, right? He, he was blinded by the bright light. Then he got baptized. The scales fell off. Guess what? He's a new person. He's not Saul. Now he's Paul. But do you realize he had the option to go fishing? He could have gone to Tahiti. 
He could have gone to Fort Lauderdale. He, he could have played golf on Sunday. He could have done anything. He could have, he could have, you know, he was a tent maker. He could have made tents on Sunday. But what did he do? He gave himself to the gospel. He started churches. He built up disciples. He encouraged the brethren. He preached the gospel. He got beaten, whipped, imprisoned, stoned, left for dead, cold, naked. You run down the list, and he did it all for the glory of God. Everything about his life was becoming of the gospel. I don't think you would have caught him doing anything that didn't point somebody to Jesus. And that's what he's telling us to do. That our lives point people to Jesus. Can I tell you that? I want you to pass out tracts. I want you to have appointed times of street ministry. I want you to have targeted uh, uh, witnessing engagement. But even the way that we carry ourselves in life should point people to Jesus. We, there should be a separation between us and the world. Just the way that we conduct ourselves. We don't listen to filth. We don't laugh at filth. We don't go along with filth. But notice this. This part I want you to get. It says that our, our conversation should be as it becomes a gospel. Um, whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs and that you stand fast in one spirit. With one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Striving together means that you're fixed on a mission together. What mission is that, church? If you're striving together with other believers on a mission, what mission is it? The Great Commission. Right? Our mission is the Great Commission, not the Great Church. Somebody say, that's right. Today, we talk more about building a church building, a building program, a system for our church building. But we're not building the kingdom of God. We've exchanged a building for a kingdom. God never called us to build one building. He called us to build the kingdom. The kingdom is built not through bricks and mortar, but through the witness of the Holy Ghost from a saved folk to a lost folk and the Holy Ghost in that folk. The kingdom advances through you, not through your dollars building brick buildings, but through your mouth and through your life sharing the gospel with the lost. We've exchanged the Great Commission for the Great Church. We want a great church, but we've been given a Great Commission. I was thinking about that. That is one absolute command from Jesus that most people don't like to obey. They'll throw it on someone else. But notice what happens next. It says in verse 28, it says, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, what, who does Peter say your adversary is? The devil. Your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Right. Resist him. James says, resist him and he'll what? He'll flee. Don't give place to the devil. Resist the devil. He'll flee. He's already been defeated. And in nothing terrified. How, hey, can I ask you a question? Since we just went through Psalm 91. If Paul's telling you in nothing be terrified, how can you not be terrified when you see out there wars, rumors of wars, commotion, pestilence, earthquakes? How can you not be terrified when you encamp under the shadow of the Almighty? The only way you can do this is to do that. In nothing terrified means you must abide in the secret place. You must dwell in the secret place with God. You must not visit that place, but live in that place of communion with God. Then you're overshadowed by the presence of God and in nothing terrified. We just read that. 
You see, Paul's, Paul, Paul is, is, is indicating here the way that you strive together for the gospel, the way that your conversation is becoming of the gospel, and the way that you live a life that is in nothing, nada, in nothing terrified, is to stay at that cross. What I mean by staying at that cross means you find your refuge, you find your shelter, you find new life, you find forgiveness, you find deliverance, you find hope, you find help, you find healing, you find Christ. You find everything that you need in this life by your faith in what Christ did at Calvary. And through that place, at that cross, God will give you the Holy Spirit. Our access to God is right there. It says, in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which to them is an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. You know what? When you're not terrified, when you're walking, li- listen to this. Listen to this. When, when, Daniel, when Daniel prayed, they thought they had him. When Daniel prayed, they just knew that was an evident token of his perdition. I'll tell you, they probably said it like this. He just signed his death warrant. He, he just signed his death warrant. Look at that man. He's trusting in that God of Israel. He prayed with the window open. He just signed that death warrant. It was an evident token of his demise. It was an evident token that he was going to be destroyed. But to Daniel, a little bit different. To Daniel, it was a sign that he belonged to God. It was was symbolic that he wasn't fearful of what men could do. He feared God and not man. He was a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. That symbol was him. It was him saying, God is my salvation. God is my salvation. Where does your salvation come from? Where does your salvation come from? Does it come from that secret place? Does it come from your dwelling in the secret place with God? Let them think what they want. Let them think what they want. Daniel learned that. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they learned that. All the saints of God that ever experienced God's deliverance learned that. Let people think what they want. Your job is to walk by faith, not by sight. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to Jesus, and he'll hold you in the storm. And he'll never let go. And he'll never let go, in Jesus' name. Amen.